Welcome to QAV 522. You're back in Sydney, TK. How was your Queensland golfing horse trip? Really good. Yeah, had a great holiday. And uh, catching up with the wonderful QAV members in Brisbane too. Lots of golf, although it was very, very muddy. So, uh, yeah, lots of mud. Golf was good. Our friends sold their horse. I bought a couple or shares in a couple. So, yeah, all good. How's the liver? Is it uh, okay? Resting. Rest. It's resting. <laughs> it got a good workout on the last night. <laughs> and every other night too, I think. Every other true. That's a good point. But, uh, yeah, we worked up to the last night. Went out with a bang. Then I had to drive six and a half hours from Coffs Harbour oh. <laughs> the next day. I don't know how you do it at your age. That was hard. You drink like a 20-year-old. Like a champion. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking with Tony and our friend Mark one night at a pub when they were here. Uh, no, after before we went to the pub, I think, but we know we in between trips to the pub, maybe. And I was talking about how I gave up drinking when I was uh, eighteen because I'd had a couple of scary incidents where I nearly died from uh, <laughs> drinking too much. And uh, Tony said, oh, "You're just a quitter." Try. <laughs> <laughs> right, you got to push through. Got to push through. That's what you said. Yeah, you got to push through. <laughs> Thank God I didn't know you when I was uh, 18. <laughs> I would not have survived to 21. Yeah, well, must be the Irish stock in me. I love a good pub. We had a good night that night. We had Negro- rounds of Negronis at the Storybridge Hotel. That was lovely. I've got the same Irish blood in me. That's why I needed to stop drinking when I was 18. I thought you were Scottish. That's even worse. I'm a Riley man. They all come from Ireland originally. Okay. My dad was Scottish, but yeah, we're all Irish. Hey, um, we're recording this 7th of June, 2022. RBA are due to come out with rates, rate hike. Everyone's predicting today the market's down, but the market's been down more often than not for the last month or two. I just wanted, before we get into all of that though, Tony, I had the thought in the last week when we were selling stuff and buying stuff that to me, it just seemed like a game of musical chairs. The music stops playing on this one particular stock because it breaches something. Just get off the chair. Get on one. When the music's playing on another one, just get on that chair. And then, you know, wait till the music stops playing on that one. You get off that chair. You get on there. It's just, I just feel like it's off a chair, on a chair. No emotion. Just getting off the chair. Yeah. Feels like that at the moment because the market's so up and down. It's just going sideways and then trending up and coming back. So, yeah, I've. Done more trading than I've done in a long time in the last uh, few months, including today. I sold uh, ASX. I got stopped out of ASX and uh, bought Bendigo Bank, which is on top of the buy list. I own ASX, I think. I'd better go check that. It was a rule one? Yeah, rule one. Oh, okay. I tell you what's not going sideways, and that's BNPL stocks today. He's <laughs> going, no, we're not supposed to talk about <laughs> BNPL, but... That's a record. It's been five minutes into the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, today's a special occasion. Apple added their WWDC Worldwide Developer Conference today and uh, announced that they're launching Apple Pay Later built into every (laughs) Apple device and automatically accessible at every store that accepts Apple Pay, which is pretty much every store. Apple is launching a new feature for Apple Pay to let you pay for purchases in four installments over time without interest called Apple Pay Later. 
It's Apple's take on a buy now, pay later service built right into Apple Pay and coming with iOS 16. And uh, Zip's share price, I noticed, is down another 10% today. <laughs> it's down like 95% from where it was a year ago. And Block has been taken out of the ASX, I think, this week. Right. Maybe next week. So probably a mercy killing for the Australian shareholders. So, yeah, Block are the guys that bought Afterpay, right? Yeah. And took that out. I looked at the wax. You know, we the old wax stocks it was WiseTech. Afterpay, Appen. Zero. Zero and another A. Anyway, I looked at all of them today. Afterpay is obviously gone, but the rest of them are roughly down about 50% from where they were at the end of last year or maybe 12 months ago. So they're roughly down 50%, all of those high flyers on average. It's been a tough ride. Yeah, it's like the cycle turns. Well, yeah, and like so we're complaining about musical chairs, but at least you know we're intact and uh, we're still beating the index, even though there's a bit, a bit more work involved at the moment and a bit more transaction friction than we'd like. But, hey, it could be worse. We could be in the, um, the high PE growth market and we'd be looking at our wounds at the moment. Maybe. Or maybe we would have bought in early enough that we, you know, we, could, we, we would have done it very well. But it's just it's that kind of sort of crazy up, crazy down uh, roller coaster ride that we want to avoid, right? Correct. Speaking of crazy down, while we're on the topic, what about Elon Musk over the weekend? Anybody who doesn't turn up to the office and work for 40 hours a week is considered to have resigned. <laughs> you can say something like... Uh, <laughs> Pick, an, pick another place where you pretend to work. <laughs> <laughs> what was the other one? It's uh, He's predicting a, a worldwide recession, so he's going to cut his staff by 10%. Right. Well, he could be right on that one. I don't know what's going on with his uh, Twitter purchase at the moment. I think he reduced his price after he decided they were mostly bots, right? Yeah. And he's on the, he was on the tweet today again about how Twitter's full of bots. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Driving the price down. Yeah, probably. But, um, I mean, yeah, you, yeah, some people think he's brilliant. You know, if you're partnering in a, a venture with him, though, I'd prefer to partner with someone who's a bit more level-headed. There's a price to pay if you're partnering with a genius, I think. As you well know, you've partnered with me many <laughs> times over the years. It's certainly <laughs> been a price, the price. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess we won't be buying an island then. I see there's an uh, island for sale. Tony, Keswick Island, lots for sale. I thought we could just set up QAV Island. We all go and live there and only value investors allowed on our island. It's a bit like uh, Atlas Shrugged, Ayn Rand's book. Yeah, right. Where is Carl Goltz? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Carl, Carl Goltz? Uh, no, Carl Galt, wasn't it? Something, some, yeah. something Galt. Andrew Galt? Don't know. Something Galt. John Galt. John Galt. Who right. is John Galt? What do you think? You're interested in buying an island? Not really. <laughs> I lived in Mackay for a year and there were no islands near Mackay. It's got to be a long way out because the Barrier Reef was like a 100 k's off Mackay by the time it gets that far south. So I'm assuming the island's part of the reef chain. It's a long trip. <laughs> That's all right. We're going to live there. We're just going to... How do we get supplies in? I, I looked at the oh, article. Supplies. There's no jetty. The airport's only uh, available to the Chinese who own it. So how do you get in? How do you get your building material in to build a house? Oh, these, these are 
you know, other people problems. Totally. Jump off the dinghy and wade in with a, with the roof beam on your head. Is that how you do it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no wonder the land's so cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. So much for that idea. No, it's a good idea. I just we can probably find somewhere better. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we're still going to buy an island, just not that island. Yeah, yeah. And it's got to have a golf course. Golf course and a pub. Uh, okay. I read this good article in the Fin uh, yesterday, day before yesterday. I think Cliff Asness, who uh, is a hedge fund manager, uh, AQR Capital Management. There was this um, great quote. He said that at some point. 1999 market was booming because of the dot-com boom and his portfolio wasn't doing as well and he was unhappy. And his wife said to him, I thought you make your money because people make mistakes. The article says this comment was somewhat of an epiphany for Asness. The inefficiencies and irrationalities of markets he relied on for his strategies to work existed precisely because they were emotionally excruciating. And he says his wife was effectively saying, so you want people to make mistakes. You just don't want them to continue to make them after AQR puts the position on. And he says he tells himself the story during the toughest days in the market to calm his nerves. Some days it works better from others. And made me think two things. One was we're the same, right? We want people to make mistakes. The market only works by us disagreeing with the market. Mm. So by our definition, they're making mistakes. By their definition, we're making the mistakes. So in periods of you know great exuberance, like we saw when we started the show a couple of years ago, dot-coms booming, all that kind of stuff, or at the moment when everything's doom and gloom and the market's going down and dropping a lot more than it normally would, we need these things to happen. These are, these are not things that we should see as problems or, or things that make our lives difficult. We need this sort of stuff. And, and you know, I went through the other day and I'm doing this compilation episode something you suggested to me a while ago from the COVID crash of going back to starting at like January, February, 2020, and just sort of seeing it play out and what you said and now you were thinking and how you were feeling. And one of the things I got out of that re-listening to it is you said, oh, I kind of get excited, something like this, I'm paraphrasing, but kind of get excited when the market goes into a crash. I mean, not because you, you don't like seeing the effects of you know, people's livelihoods and people who don't have QAVs investments go in the toilet and lose their life savings and all this kind of stuff. That's not good. But from an investor's perspective, it's a good thing because you can buy really good companies really cheaply when they go down. So we need these things to happen and we shouldn't look at, look at them as a trials and tribulations of being an investor. This is what creates the opportunities. So I was liking that thing. Yeah, we want people to make mistakes because that's what makes us successful. But the second part I got out of this was, Okay, he says he finds his work emotionally excruciating. (laughs) I've done this show. He's not playing enough golf. (laughs) I've done this show with you for three years. (laughs) I've never seen you break a sweat, (laughs) let alone emotionally excruciating. (laughs) It's like, we are just like, what? (laughs) Only when I sign the checks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) Uh, No, that's right. If it's emotionally excruciating, go off and do something else. Goodness <laughs> sake. We do this to live, not we don't live to do it. So, you know, put it in perspective. But you know, you raise a good point. I mean, Buffett always said the best time to invest is when there's blood in the streets. And that's exactly right. And we do rely on mispricing of assets. So go back and listen to the early interviews that we had with a lot of people who were, you know, riding the growth story and they were saying, Oh, you just don't get it. And 
value investing is dead and uh, you're performing poorly. Look, look at the US market. It's up 25% this year, blah, blah, blah. And it just reminded me exactly of the late 1990s when uh, people like Warren Buffett were saying, yeah, well, I can't find anything to buy, but I'm not worried. I'm not going to go. I don't understand dot-com stocks. I'm not going to buy dot-com stocks. I'll wait until they're, uh, they're properly valued. And it happened again. It's happened again in the last sort of six months. Same things happen with we want to happen and it has happened. Look at when we were buying oil stocks, when we first started buying oil stocks. You know, we bought Santos at the bottom of the COVID crash. All the commentary was, oh, the oil market's about to go, it's going to break. It's going to break down. You know, no one's buying oil. <laughs> what do you want to buy oil for? It's exactly the time to buy an asset, right? It's when no one else wants it. It's when it's so cheap. Everyone's got their hands in their pockets and that's when we buy it. So it's the same in every cycle. It is different every time. It's always different, Tony. It's never the same. Don't hit me with them negative waves so early. Think that bridge will be there. And it'll be there. It's a mother beautiful bridge. And it's going to be there. Playing all the greatest hits now. Yeah, it is, yeah. All right, well, I've gone on enough about being a contrarian. (laughs) The point I took out of that article, which was in the AFR, so this guy, Cliff Asnes, he does a lot of uh, statistical analysis on the share market. And he, one of the questions he was asked is, what happens when interest rates start to rise? And this guy has made a career out of statistically analyzing the share market. And he said that as a value investor, rising interest rates only affect his performance by about 30%. The other 70% of his performance is un, unaffected by interest rates. And that's been my experience. I'm going to put a number on it, but I've always been able to make money if interest rates are going up or down or sideways. It hasn't really affected my investing style at all. I had the feeling we'd talked about him before, and we did back in June 2020, episode 328, the one we had Tobias Carlyle on. Uh, you mentioned Cliff and AQR. It was some article, uh, or one of us mentioned anyway, something about is value dead? <laughs> There was a, an article that uh, he must have been mentioned in back then. <laughs> that was what, a year ago? Two years ago. Two years ago, value was dead. <laughs> yeah. A uh, good time to be a value investor when value is dead. That's contrarian. Well, it's, it's dead every five years, isn't it? There's been my take on it. Yeah. Halfway through the cycle, it's always declared to be dead. Correct. <laughs> and then it's back. You want to talk about the uh, 0.35 change on the TK master checklist? Yeah, so thanks to Sim. I hope I'm pronouncing the name right. So I, I changed the, the master checklist to have a cell so we could enter in the, the RBA cash rate and then have it flow through the rest of the spreadsheet to calculate uh, what our risk premium is, which is 6% plus the RBA cash rate. But I should have put in a percentage sign. So I put the number in 0.35, which was um, treating it as, as a higher number than it should have. It should be 0.0035 or 0.35 with a percent sign after it. So apologies for that. It's been corrected now. And if people want to update their spreadsheets, they can, or they can download a new one from the website. And so that affects our IV2 calculation. So they would have all been out for the last couple of weeks if you were using the, that sheet. Do you think that will have changed scores dramatically? Not dramatically. It will have changed scores, but not dramatically, no. Okay, yeah, good one, Sim. Thanks for picking that up. And just on that too, so sorry, we're 
we're recording is we're waiting for the RBA to come out with its uh, news on interest rates. If we get that before we stop recording, we'll announce it. But certainly, I'm expecting interest rates to rise and we'll need to go in and change our spreadsheets again because of that. Yeah, right. Portfolio updates, Tony. Oh, well, I'm looking at the Nevexa portfolio. Yeah, I've got it open. How's it going today? Today, well, so the last time I looked, financial year, this is the financial year to date. The QAV portfolio is up 5.71% and uh, the ASX is up 3.72%. So we're clicking along basically sideways, but still beating the ASX. Yeah, quite nicely. I mean, that's, that's what, a 60%, something like that, over and above the index, which is uh, pretty good for the financial year. And I think since inception, when I last looked, which was, I don't know, late last, last week, I guess we were sort of doing, still doing about three times the ASX 200 over the sort of three years since inception, two and a half, three years. So it's on track. And then the best performers for the week, Beach Petroleum is up 10.98%. This is as, as of yesterday. And Grange Resources is back up. It's up 9% for the week. But uh, the worst performing stock was Suncorp, which was down 9.54% for the week. And I think you sold it from the portfolio in the last few days. I did, yeah. It breached uh, both, actually. It breached a rule one and a three point, I think. But I think the three point kicked in first. Yeah, and um, Suncorp is is a bank, but it's also an insurance company. And I know there was a lot of analysis last week to say that the Queensland floods were going to cost insurers a heck of a lot of money, and that's one of the reasons why it's down. And I think the the one of the big brokers figured or factored that uh, calculation into their forecast and lowered their forecast for Suncorp as well. Well, sorry, Suncorp, we had to let you go. We barely knew you too. <laughs> it's only in there for a while. You want to talk about Yale, and uh, I, I don't know if you've seen this today, but some news came out about Yale and the takeover today. No, haven't seen it. What are they saying? A few people posted it on our social channels. There was an independent review board, I think, that did an analysis of the uh, Young Quang Energy takeover. The independent uh, board have decided that it cannot support or recommend the potential transaction in its current form. So I'm guessing that's the, I think there was a couple of independent directors in them. There's, I think there was a three-person independent director committee of the ANCAL board is the independent review board you're referring to there. Well, it's a no-brainer. I mean, the, the Chinese parent was putting in a low-ball bid. There were some rumours that uh, Glencore wanted to get out. And so really the bid was directed at them, but I think Glencore have also come out and called the bid too low. So it could just be a bit of um, negotiations at the moment, but we'll see. Yeah, I just wanted to say I was buying Yan Cole when the trading halt happened and a takeover was offered. So I, I've stopped buying it because I don't like buying into a situation when there's so much uncertainty. It's not kind of business as usual. But um, if we get some clarity one way or the other, then I'll, I'll keep buying into it. I do own... Yan Cole, it's only about a half a position for me. I think, you know, there's so many issues with this takeover, apart from the fact that there's a large shareholder making a low ball bid. That large shareholder also will have to get through the Foreign Investment Review Board before it can creep up the register at Yan Cole because they already own, I think, 60-odd percent. And they made a, last time they, they, they got that high, they made a, a, an undertaking with the FIRB that they wouldn't go above 70 or 72%, something like that. 
So if they're going to buy Glencore out, then they're probably going to have to go back to the FIRB and negotiate to do that. So there's lots of moving parts in this one. So that's that's a risk. It's, it's like any any sort of takeover process. They, they'll probably come back with a higher offer and we'll see what happens. Coming in so low probably means you're not going to overpay for the assets. So I don't think we're going to see a huge premium paid for Yankol, but who knows? It could be. I don't think we'll get another bidder coming out, uh, out of the, the wings on this one either because Yankol owns so much. But again, who knows? The thing that is also of concern, but not yet, is if a large secondary shareholder like Glencore do take up the offer when it's attractive enough to them, then Yank, and if Yankol gets FIRB approval, I don't want to be caught as a retail shareholder if Yankol, not Yankol, sorry, if um, the Chinese company that is the major shareholder can get up around 90%, because once they reach 90%, then they can compulsorily acquire the rest of the shares at the, at the last bid. And that can take a long time. So I'd rather be out of the company before that happens. So you've only got an Eric on Yankol right now? Correct. Yep, yep. half a B. <laughs> Which ipso facto was better than not half a B. <laughs> you get that. <laughs> Eric, the half a B. <laughs> All right. Let's Yankol. What else do you want to talk about? Iron ore. Iron ore, no longer a Josephine. So, I mean, the reason for it is because the Chinese lockdowns because of COVID are starting to be, have started to be lifted in Shanghai in particular. And so there is a bit more building activity going on again in China. And so the iron ore price is rising. But from our point of view, if you look at the iron ore chart, there was a second buy line crossed with iron ore. So it stopped going down and started going up again as a shorthand way of saying it. So that brings a lot of the shares back into our onto our buy list that we can buy again because iron ore's been a Josephine. We haven't touched for the skew in Rio for a while, but but we can buy them again now. Hurrah. Actually we did buy FMG a little while ago, then we sold it and then we bought it again. Mm-hmm. Right. Well I think that's everything apart from are you doing a pulled pork today? I am, yeah. So I'm doing a pulled pork on Prosper Group which is one I promised to do a couple of weeks ago after I had to do two or three on PDL, PDL. The final P. This is a trilogy. Yeah, the, the, P, P. the P trilogy. This is PGL. That's right. Yeah, the third book in the series. Usually not the best, the third one, the third of the trilogy, Tony. <laughs> Should we just skip this one? We had the second record syndrome with PDL. Yeah. No, this is, well, it, this is an interesting one. And the reason why I wanted to swing back and do it again is this is a gross stock. A fintech growth stock, which is uh, has been on the buy list, it actually dropped off a little while ago. But it's only well, when I did the analysis this morning, a cent and a half away from its buy line, so it, it could well cross soon. The stock price I'm using for this is seventy five point five cents, by the way. And I think the the sell price was seventy seven, I think, or seventy eight. So it's not too far off. It's going above its sell price again. It's already above its buy price. But the reason why I wanted to go through it is because it's an interesting one. So we don't often get growth stocks, you know, out and out growth stocks. This is a bombed out one. So it listed, rose quite high. Now it's dropped dramatically and now it's on its way up again. And uh, that often happens with these kinds of companies. So they get to a stage where the market either turns or gets tired of the fact that they're not making money and they, the share price drops dramatically. And then they go through a period uh, you know, where they can't raise capital because they're not making money, but they slowly inch their way back towards profitability. So PGL Prosper Group is in that sort of situation at the moment. It's uh, It lost 
half a cent per share on the profit line in its most recent results, which are going back to December. But the forecast is that um, the next set of results, which will be out in three weeks, June, well, they won't be out, but the June books will be ruled off at the end of June. The forecast is for a 4.4 cents per share profit. So it's becoming profitable. And the reason for that is because it's operating cash flow is so good. So it's, it's the sales are, are still growing, which is always the thesis with a stock like this, so that it would eventually become profitable. So we're actually at a, a turning point in the life of this company. And if we think back to people like Matt Joss that we had on the show early on, he, he always thought these growth stocks would go through a number of checkpoints, one of which was when they first became profitable. So Prosper Group is approaching that. For people who don't know the company, it's a, a fintech startup. It only operates online and it offers loans to small businesses. And uh, according to the website, you can borrow up to 300000 and uh, you can receive the funding quickly in 24 hours. So it offers small business loans and also it offers line of credit facilities as well as B2B payments, a B2B payments platform. So uh, it's trying to disintermediate the banks. And, and as an aside, my last trip to Wagga, Ruddy and I were talking about uh, charity exchange, our, our raffle business to raise money for charity. And he was saying that the Commonwealth Bank was offering him loans for small businesses, uh, which is without having to have security on the house. So that was uh, a first, something I hadn't heard of for a while. But obviously, they're being spurred on to do that because companies like uh, Prosper Group are out there offering these kinds of business loans. So they're, they're having an effect and they're being uh, taken notice of by the big banks. This one is only a small company, market cap of 124 million and ADT of only 14,000. So it's only going to suit small investors. If this plays out the way I think it might, then that, that might only be short lived. But yeah, with a company like this, there's some negatives and positives. So if I go through the numbers and focus on the positives first, the reason why it was on our buy list, uh, it had a low price to operate in cash flow, which was uh, around two and a half times. It has high ownership by directors sitting at about 28%. And it's trading at less than price to book. The net equity per share for this company is 81 cents. The forecast earnings per share growth is 998%. So very high EPS forecast growth, but it's not making a profit. So no PE at the moment. So growth over PE doesn't score yet, but I expect it will next half when the results come out. Stock Doctor isn't giving it a good financial health score, but it is giving it a financial health score, which they call recovering, which is the trend score for them, which means we score at two points because it's often the case that even though the current health is early warning, if Stock Doctor scores it as a recovering financial health trend, that the financial health is improving, which is also a good sign for an investment. So they're all the, the good things on the scorecard. The negative side of things, of course, is there's no profit and there's high debt to equity. It has taken on lots of debt and higher than what I would normally find investable. However, with the cash that's coming in, it won't take them long to pay that debt down if they so choose to. Uh, they're not paying a dividend, of course, so they won't be devoting profits to that, but I wouldn't mind betting that they devote it to paying down some debt. So it gets back to comfortable levels, but we'll see. Doesn't have a record low PE, can't score that because um, it doesn't have a PE, so it's zero doesn't have consistently increasing equity. Equity's been up and down, as you'd expect, because they've been um, borrowing money. So it gets a zero there and there's no yield. So all in all, on balance, the QAB score for this one is sitting at 0.21. When it crosses its sell line again, which it may do, it's only a couple of cents away from that, may do soon, then the QAB score will rise a, raise a point or two 
And the quality score for this one is 53%, which is down because of that uh, debt. But um, that may improve again when the results come out uh, in the next round of reporting. So I just wanted to highlight this one. It's a kind of unique, in a unique position in the business cycle. And uh, if the results come out and they're good, we may well see that uh, it comes back onto the buy list and does strongly. Thanks for that. PGL, interesting. Hang on, I'm just going to look up. We've got a we've got a news report on the interest rates. Oh, how much did they crank it up by? 0.5 percentage point increase. Wow. So the cash rate is now 0.85%. That's a pretty big jump, right? It is, yeah. I think the market was expecting less than that. So it could be another choppy time in the market. Well, back to what I said early on, it's all good for us, choppiness. Yeah, so interest rates on our spreadsheet should now be 0.85%. Take note, folks. If you need help in knowing where to put that, I'll post something, actually. I'll do it today. You'll see it. Just check the social forums and the newsletters and whatever. Okay. Now what? Q&A? Yep. And Q&A and V? (laughs) And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week. runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc., uh, sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Um, Check that out too. Um, It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you but uh, you know while he's not <laughs> we can do this so check that out qavpodcast.com.au slash light l-i-g-h-t um, that's it um, if you don't want to sign up to any of those just keep listening to the free episodes and if you have any questions uh, shoot me an email you'll find that on our website too All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217182. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions. Thank you.